Welcome into the Carter Chronicle podcast. As promised, the first time, this, this is a first in CC podcast history. We have made a promise. We're keeping that. We said double podcast today. Two going to make it happen. It is the holiest day of championship week in my eyes. ACC tournament Tuesday. Joining me about that. And all the rest of the week in Greensboro, you know him from past work with Courier Journal and The Athletic, his current work with uh, the Floyd Street's Finest Podcast and the Floyd Street Tribune and select Northern Kentucky softball games. He is. <laughs> Greer, we haven't had you on. This is your first pod appearance since the, uh, the Euro trip got canceled about this time last year when you made it back. Happy to have you back. How are you? How are you feeling? Uh, a lot has changed since the last time I was on. Um, I've lost about 15 pounds of baguette weight. Um, I, uh, I am back in Louisville. We bought a house. We're, we're uh, in the same neighborhood relatively. Um, and it's kind of fun to be back in, in the middle of college basketball again. So uh, I appreciate you having me on. I'm, I'm curious what took you so long to have me back on. But uh, other than that, I only waited like two weeks to have you on. I like that when you juxtapose – Right now, with 12 months ago, the biggest difference in your eyes was the fact that you've lost 15 pounds. That's, oh, it's right completely. Where- yeah. I also had I also had COVID in December, so that was that was sort of <laughs> that was a relatively significant portion of my uh, of my last year. But uh, no, it's been a weird year, and uh, it's been fun being back in the states. It was weird being six five six seven hours ahead of everyone, um, and uh, having a schedule like. 11 p.m. phone FaceTimes with with my family and stuff like that and uh, but it's nice to be back in Louisville and um, it's fun to see my friends like you uh, becoming dads and moms and stuff that's that's happening a lot uh, in in the last couple of years uh, and especially over the pandemic times I think people are really happy that they're spending more time with their family so uh, that's all good stuff. We're recording this. It's Tuesday morning. It's a little bit before 11 a.m. And the only reason we're doing that is because you need to have ample time. You said, I've got to have two hours to get ready for this Pitt Miami game. That was the, <laughs> your one demand for the podcast was I've got to mentally prepare. I'm a Pitt grad. I've got my Pitt onesie on. Um, th- this game is going to determine <laughs> the fate of Panther basketball. Uh, I mean, scale of one to 10. How excited! First of all, has there ever been an ACC tournament game where two teams care less than Pitt and Miami will for this game today? The only way that that would have been possible to conceive would be one of the two Kevin Stallings Pitt teams with the Dennis Clifford uh, Boston College team. If we could have somehow paired those two together, uh, I don't remember if they if they crossed paths at any point, but uh, I can assure you that I will probably. I'll probably watch, uh, I'll probably have it on in the background, um, but I thought it was such an important game that I may actually have to go do my apartment walkthrough with the, uh, uh, with the uh, lease manager at the, at our former place, um, in the middle of that game instead of actually paying much attention to it. It, it has been a dumpster fire, uh, second half of the season for Pitt after, uh, many, many pit is back text messages were sent, uh, on my cell phone. Um, and, uh, I just can't tell you enough how depressing it is to watch them fall apart yet again. You did the whole, like, Jeff Greer has re-entered the chat. Oh, text. I know. Yeah. <laughs> just, it just kept happening. I was like, haven't we done this the last two years? And sure enough, 
uh, you fall apart. You know what it reminds me of? Your first year covering the team was 2014, right? The AAC year? Yeah, 13-14, yep. Okay. In that tournament, I don't know if you remember this, but when Louisville, the game that decided who they were going to play in the conference tournament quarterfinals was Houston versus South Florida. And if you go back, I, I would, I, I'm probably going to go back after we finish this recording and try to see if I can find footage of this, but South Florida hit a shot like right before the buzzer that sent that game to overtime. Nobody on their bench clapped. Like, like nobody celebrated. <laughs> the, the least excited I've ever seen two teams play a postseason basketball game. Neither team wanted to win. Houston didn't celebrate when they finally won, and then they got beat by sixty uh, <laughs> by, by Louisville the next day. I think it was ninety to thirty. That's kind of what Pitt Miami is is reminding me of. But I, I guess we'll start like serious Pitt discussion. Jeff Capel, it, it, every single year has been the same. They're bringing in talent. It sounds like it's going to be good. They flop late. Now you got dudes transferring everywhere. You and I have both kind of talked about how we think Archie Miller would actually have success if Indiana pulls the plug on him and he goes up to Pitt. If it's not Archie, though, who would you like? Who's a reasonable candidate who could come in and make Pitt basketball Jamie Dixon again? <laughs> oh wow! So MPBJDA. Um, all right. Oh. Uh, that's, that's a mouthful. Um, that's a great question. Like, I, I think it's gotta be someone who, um, if it were to be someone like Archie. So Archie, I think, is better suited for a place that is, is probably anywhere where the spotlight is not entirely on the basketball team, right? I mean, I, I think Indiana is one of like six or seven jobs. Louisville would be in there too, where, the spotlight on the basketball coach and the basketball program is so bright um, that I, I, I like he legitimately seems like he just like hates his job. Like he hates it. He's miserable on the sidelines. He's always mad at the refs. Um, his players are yelling at each other in huddles. I mean, it's just it just looks awful. And I think part of it is that he is just legitimately miserable in Indiana. Um, so I, I, I think that if it was going to be a coach like, like Archie, it would have to be someone who wants to be kind of operate in a, in a place where football has at least level pegging or is a little bit ahead of, of basketball. It wasn't like that when I went to Pitt. When I was at Pitt, football was like, haha, they have a football team. Let's leave at halftime. We're all drunk and let's go home. And the games were downtown. It was really hard to get there. You had to ride on these school buses, um, pack in with all your friends, and you didn't care because you've been pre-gaming. But they were playing like Youngstown State, and they were punting on third down. Like no one wants to go to those games, right? But the basketball team was awesome. And so for like 10 years, 10, 15 years, it was like you had to log on to your email at a specific time to to get into the ticket queue to get a ticket for like Pitt versus Ball State in in November, you know, and and it was a real effort to do that. And uh, the program has just completely fallen off the face of the earth. So I think you either go after someone like Archie, who who is I think still a good basketball coach. Um, and let them just kind of do their thing and, and try to build, uh, basically rebuild. Uh, or you go find someone who has proven themselves in tough positions. 
What about Mark Schmidt? I kind of wanted them to hire him uh, from St. Bonaventure uh, four years ago um, because St. Bonaventure is a hard place to win. And you've got to be able to find guys who fit what you want to do. It's like Mike Young at Virginia Tech now. It's like he's starting to get some guys in who are players he likes. I know there's still a few left over, but um, – Buzz Williams had success at, at Virginia Tech because he knew, and at Marquette, because he knew he could get players to come there who may have flown a little under the radar and would fit into the program. Uh, so that's who I would look at. I, I think Mark Schmidt is, is, um, I always want to call him Mike Schmitz, um, but Mark Schmidt, uh, I think would be a great hire. And, um, I know he's been in the mix for other jobs. His name has come up with Penn State. If he goes to Penn State, I will, I will, not be happy about that. <laughs> By the way, I'm just realizing now that my mic was not on for the first like five minutes. So if it was, if my audio is very faint, I apologize, everybody. <laughs> the world's most professional podcast lives on yet again. This is Marge. Uh, I, I think it's funny. You touched on it. I always heard the exact same thing when Archie was at Dayton. The Dayton people said, with his next job, like, like Archie's not going to be a lifer at UD. But wherever he goes next, he wants to go to a power conference program where football takes priority. He doesn't want to be constantly under the microscope. He doesn't want – like he wants to do – he wants the team to be able to take lumps in November or December and have the fan base not be crawling all over him because they're still paying attention to football. He goes to the exact opposite place where (laughs) expectations are probably higher than they should be given what Indiana basketball has been for the last 30, 40 years. And – I, I think Archie just hates Indiana fans. Like, I, I think if he had held out, all he had to do was wait two more months. Thad Mata yep. gets a uh, you know, quick exit at Ohio State, unexpected exit at Ohio State. He probably gets that job. And I, I think I think he would have had success there. I'm with you. I still kind of – I don't think what happened at Dayton was just a total fluke. And I don't think what he's been doing or hasn't been doing at Indiana is fully indicative of what he could do at a power program. So I think that would be a, a good marriage. But it's just – in all seriousness, I, I, I rag on Pitt just to give you shit, but I'd like to see Pitt be good again. Because when I like when Louisville made the move to the Big East, that was one of the more fun series we had. They knocked us mm-hmm. out of the Big East tournament every year for the first three seasons we were there. Uh, we kind of gave it back to them. So had a big win streak, knocked you all off when you, uh, they were number one in 2009. Like it just it feels like Pitt should be one of those programs that's not not perennial top ten, top fifteen, but they should be top twenty five good just about every year and. Not only have they not been that, they've been woeful for the past what five years. It's been it's been awful. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad to think about because they they like I mean people were obsessed with students and and people around campus were obsessed with pit basketball. Now that um, that city is tough because it's like the Steelers. Uh, there's, there's no second place. I mean, the Steelers are clear far and above, uh, anyone else in terms of who, what people care about. The Penguins are, are a distant second, but still pretty popular. Um, but I mean, people wear Steelers jerseys as like, I'm going out to dinner tonight and I'm wearing my Jerome Bettis jersey, um, on like a Tuesday in, in May, um, which is a, a, a decision, um, but um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean it's it's a tough city to be in, and, and 
Uh, it has a Pitt Penn State has a little bit of the Louisville Kentucky vibe to it. Um, they're not because they're they're a little bit farther apart and and it, it they feel a little bit more like ships passing in the night. But but Pitt definitely feels the Penn State influence um, in Pittsburgh because a lot of people go to Penn State. There's like a hundred thousand undergrads there every every year. And uh, and then there's a big Notre Dame um, uh, community there too because Pittsburgh, like Louisville, is a very Catholic city. So it it really is a tough city um, and a tough program. But they've got great facilities. They've got a a nice uh, a nice arena that was built on campus. They've got a a student body that if they are good uh, will show up. I mean they're. Bottom line is, is we're all fair weather. You know, there's only so many Chicago Cubs um, and like Boston Red Sox and, and teams like that. And even when they're bad, people are like, oh, no one shows up to those games. And then they're all oh, the fan. That's the tried and true fan base. Well, they're good every year. That's why they they show up. The Cubs Cubs Stadium was Wrigley Field was like empty in in when they were bad. Um, but anyway. Um, so the, it's there. They, it's, you can get a good assistant coaching staff. The problem is, is I don't think there's much of a footprint for recruiting. I think you have to go to Philadelphia and Cleveland and um, DC and, and, and New York and try to get kids from from those places. I mean, the teams that they had that were the most successful had a lot of New York kids on there, um, and. They had two of the dirtiest recruiters in college basketball on their staff uh, at various points, which probably helped, um, but um, or at least rumored to be. I should say I should be careful uh, with how I say that. Uh, yeah, gotta be, you got to be careful with that one. Here on the Card Chronicle podcast, Jeff, we like to <laughs> allegedly. Yeah. So, but no, I mean, like they would get Levance Fields, and they would get um, Sam Young out of DC, and they would get uh, Carl Krauser out of New York, and they would get, um, you know, for every one Dewan Blair who was like a generational talent in Pittsburgh, they would have to go find a bunch of three and four star guys um, from the New York and DC area and bring them in and cultivate them over three years, and by the time they were juniors, that the team was really good. Um, and they just need a coach who's capable of finding those players and evaluating those players and winning with them. And uh, I don't think it helps that they're in a much tougher league um, geographically for that. So, like, the ACC doesn't probably have the same um, draw to um, kids from that region that it used to uh, or that the Big East had um, where you're playing at Madison Square Garden and all that stuff. I, I, I think it's a little tougher now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I agree with you. I think it should be a top 25 program and the fact that it's not, um, kind of makes me sadder than when my grandma died. Um, but, uh, but you know, that's neither here nor there. All right. Uh, moratorium on pit talk. We're okay. Gonna... Fair. That's, totally fair. That's we went more... way too, we went way too long on pit. That's it's okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into AC in a second, but you and I both were, I mean, as kids, college basketball nerds, hell, we still are. Uh, when you were growing up, it, it's championship week. We've got the ACC starting today. Other major conference tournaments are going to get started in the next couple of days. Which league did you watch? Did you like watching the most this time of year when you were growing up? Uh, at first, it would have been the A10. 
I was a big Atlantic 10 guy um, because after uh, I, my family moved when I was six months old uh, to Amherst, Mass, and we lived there through uh, second grade, so I would have been probably like eight, I guess. Um, and UMass was really good uh, in the early and mid-90s. That was when Calipari was there, and they had Marcus Camby and all these great players. Um, so I was really – I was like – I loved the A-10. I hated uh, Temple. Um and but like like hate in like a respectful like like they're good so I don't like them kind of way. Um, nice the, the yeah, it's a nice hate. It's not a uh, it's not a storm the capital kind of hate. Um, and um, and so that was a, that league I loved. And then we moved to Rhode Island and you tossed in a, a Big East program in Providence. Um, so you still had Rhode Island um, down in the southern part of the state. So I still followed uh, A-10 basketball because they had beat writers and, and columnists writing about UMass and, and St. Joe's and Temple and all those teams. And then you throw in the Big East. So I would say by the time I was like a junior, senior in high school, I kind of had shifted uh, to really enjoying the Big East tournament. And even though I really – I don't as much anymore, but but – um, speaking of hate, I, I had a strong distaste of Connecticut, UConn, um, and, and uh, for a lot of very good reasons. Um, and so I really didn't like the Big East because they were in it for a long time, but eventually I just kind of grew to enjoy it. So I would say the A-10 and the Big East probably were my two favorites. What about you? Was it Conference USA for a while and then you switched to the Big East? I mean, obviously, I always followed Louisville's conference tournament more closely than any other, like Metro when I was little, and then Conference USA. But as far as like the the other conference tournament that I, it was always the Big East, like that I paid attention mm-hmm. to, that I liked the most. And I just remember, I mean, remember that that string. Uh, here we go again. Like we we can't get away from Pitt on this podcast. But <laughs> remember that string of like four consecutive years, I think, where Pitt played UConn in the finals. Um, yeah, it was like the Ray Allen game happened. But there was the one year where I think it was like 98, 99, where Brandon Knight was taken over for Pitt on one leg. Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-I-N, infamously with the I there at the end. And he almost hit the shot on like one leg at the buzzer to to win it. And I remember Jay-Z was sitting on the court for that game. And I was like, (laughs) how fucking cool is this? Jay-Z is watching UConn and Pitt play a college basketball game in March. Like I was always really into the Big East even before Louisville got into that league. And I think the other thing that separated it from, like, I liked watching the ACC. Randolph Childress crossing the dude up and giving him the, the stand-up. Like, that was a cool moment. But I didn't I didn't like the conference tournaments whose championship game ended on Sunday. And I still don't mm-hmm. as, because mm-hmm. the Sunday championship games should be banned forever. The committee has already said in so many words that they don't really pay attention to them unless a, a team who's not in the field has a chance to play their way into the field. And even in that case, they have a couple of contingency brackets set up. It's not like they're reseeding the tournament based on the, – the most glaring example was in 2014 when Kentucky played Florida. Florida, who was going to be the number one overall seed in the tournament. They played them in the SEC championship game. And the committee afterwards said, like, even if they'd won that game, UK was already locked in as an eight seed. Well, like, like what the fuck's the What's point? What's the like, point, like, yeah. It just, like, the Sunday should be about the bracket and the bracket only. 
I'm fine if you want to play like the MIAC and SWAC championship games there. Like even the Mid American Conference, I think, still plays their championship game there. Like leagues where the champion is already going to be penciled into 14, 15, or 16. But get the major conference championship games out of there. Uh, the, the bracket is enough. Like, like that's it can hold the day on its own. And so that's that was my biggest problem with the ACC growing up. And thankfully, when Louisville made the jump to the league, that's when they took the Big East spot as the the primetime Saturday night championship game on ESPN. So, mm-hmm. but Andrew, a roundabout way to answer your question. I did like the A10 tournament growing up though too. The it was good. Was it was it ninety? It was either ninety eight or ninety nine when Lamar Odom hit the shot at the buzzer mm-hmm. to win it for Rhode it Island. 90, like that tournament was awesome. nine. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was 99 because the year before that was the Catino Mobley Tyson Wheeler team that made the uh made the Elite 8 and then Lamar Odom came in as a freshman the following year. Um so hey, I got to say though, I I know Louisville's in the ACC. I know people are thrilled here that they have a team in the ACC and uh, Kentucky especially uh, around derby time feels southern even though i still contend that that louisville itself it feels a little bit more midwestern than uh than southern but i like now that i'm friends with with a lot of the beat writers and stuff in the acc and and people tweet about oh the the memories of greensboro and i'm like you really want to argue that a a college basketball conference tournament in Greensboro, North Carolina with a 300 pound man named Curtis who just ate barbecue sitting on the sidelines watching an 18 and 14 NC state team play is a better tournament than having Madison square garden literally be completely occupied by a conference for the entire week to the point where cab drivers are listening to sports radio in New York and they're talking about the Big East tournament. Everyone's talking about it. During the day, it's people who drive in from all over the place fly in. And then at night, it's you get all the bankers and people in, the, in their suits coming over with all the celebrities for the 7 and 9 p.m. games. You really want me to think that the ACC tournament with Curtis and his and his old boys sitting on the sideline eating barbecue is a more prestigious and more fun event than Bill Clinton and Patrick Ewing and Jay-Z sitting down courtside watching college basketball with some of the most historic Northeast programs in college basketball playing. You You really think that we care that much about like Maryland versus, you know, Virginia Tech, or uh, that's not a good example because they're new, but like, <laughs> no, take a hike. It's all about Duke and, and UNC. And that, and that, like, it just, it kind of annoys me, but it's like, we get it. You have two good programs and everyone else is kind of average. We get it. That's fine. But like, the Big East was the greatest collection of college basketball teams. There's no, there's no debate. I mean, there's just no debate for me. It's not even close. I don't think it's a contest. I mean, the games, like my personal heaven was the Friday or Saturday night of Big East tournament semifinals championship game where they're doing the starting lineups. They're announcing the Louisville players. 
hypnotizes playing in the background the instrument yes. like that it, it doesn't get any better than that i mean when you won they lit up the empire state building in your color like like that was one of the coolest things i always love sharing that post it's not i mean what if, if you win the ac tournament do they light up the the local bojangles in carolina blue like, like it's oh, just like that's yeah. there, there's not really i love the acc for the the blue blood programs i think it's it's super competitive i like the rivalries that louisville's in the process of developing but if we're talking just about the conference tournaments Old Big East was absolutely the best. And it's still a fun tournament now. It, it seems to to use the phrase that has been synonymous with ACC's biggest rivalry in the last couple of days. Big East tournament always seems to deliver. Um, and the ACC tournament has had its moments. Zion's run a couple of years ago was great. But I'm, I'm with you. It, it just it does not hold a candle to me. But we're going to talk about this year's tournament. Real quickly, though, broadly on Louisville, and feel free to be harsh. We, we love the objective view here. But Danny and I both on the earlier podcast today kind of expressed our pessimism about this week and and where the team is. It's not strictly based on how they played against Virginia, but that's definitely part of it. But Louisville going into this tournament, seven seed. I mean, in your objective view, what's the likelihood that the cards kind of generate some positive momentum this week? Or, or is there any possibility? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a possibility. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> I, I um, I'm now house broke, so I don't have any money to bet anyway. But uh, if I did, I would not bet on Louisville. Um, I part of me kind of sees, and I don't know why, um, kind of sees Duke making a run. Um, and and ending up losing in like the semifinals, um, and I I don't know why I can't explain that. I do not have a good reason for it because Duke kind of stinks. But I just have this feeling like they're gonna they they're they're desperate. They need to win a couple of games at least. They probably have to get to the final if they even want to be considered as an at large. I would think because um, I, I I think they're eleven and eleven. So like they really I mean. At 14 and 12, you just beat Louisville, um, Louisville, Florida State, and maybe like North Carolina. Okay, they they might enter the, re-enter the conversation, um, but that's a dangerous team to have to play on your first day when your team uh, has just so many flaws. And and you know, I know it's a, a cliche. I, I just did my podcast with Bob Alvano, and we were kind of joking about the cliche of beating a team for a third time in a season. It's hard to do. And um, especially when one of those teams is desperate, you keep wondering when Louisville is going to be the desperate team. Um, and I just don't know if they have that switch. I don't know if they have the switch that just says like, this is a game that you have to be awesome um, and and play with a ton of energy. Maybe the Georgia Tech game uh, might answer that bell. Maybe the first Duke game, but it, it just like there's just something slightly missing there with Louisville. So I'm not like I'm not like the world is falling apart and they're not gonna they'd have no shot at winning on Wednesday. Um, but I think that I think that it's going to be. I would, I feel like in my head, Louisville is a little bit of an underdog in that game. And, uh, if it is Duke, I'd, if Boston College pulls a rabbit out of a hat, then, then I would think Louisville would win on Wednesday. But, um, I just, I just, I keep waiting for Louisville to, to hit some of those markers that it feels like their potential is, and they have not hit them very much, if at all. 
And I think the COVID stuff has a big part to do with that. But I also think that their, their team is built in a way that it's a really, really, really thin margin for error. And, um, I don't know. The tournament just hasn't really worked out for them, uh, since joining the ACC. So I, I don't know why this would be the team that would, would change that. It hasn't. And this draw is, like you mentioned, not ideal. Duke always seems to play well in the ACC tournament, regardless of how the regular season's gone. And then Florida State has been, I mean, just an absolute nightmare for not just this team, but this this program for the last couple of years. They're waiting there in the semifinals. I know some people were like, "Why are you? How could you possibly cheer for Duke in that North Carolina game?" Well, the draw was infinitely better if Louisville six. Yeah. And it's not just about avoiding Duke in Game One. Uh, you would have gotten Wake Forest or Notre Dame. I, you've beaten both those teams. I think you'd feel pretty confident about that game. And then in this, uh, the big draw to me was getting to play Virginia Tech in the quarterfinals instead of mm-hmm. Florida State. Um, mm-hmm. You've beaten Virginia Tech 17 times in a row. You've beaten them this year. They're coming off of yet another COVID issue. I think that I think if you looked at that bracket, you could have had realistic hope that this mm-hmm. team could have made a run. And now, again, not saying you can't have hope, but you have to at least acknowledge that it seems far less likely than it did uh, going into last weekend. But uh, that's kind of where they are. Looking at the bracket broadly, everybody's going to talk about, I mean, I I guess it's a wide-open tournament. People keep using that term. Um, An unranked team has not won the ACC tournament since all the way back in 2004 when Maryland did it. Could happen this year. Virginia and Florida State are the two obvious favorites. And if you're looking elsewhere, it seems like, like the buzz pick, the the backside horse, if you want to use a derby analogy, it's Georgia Tech. And, my man, everything's coming up Josh Pastner right now. <laughs> the Prince of March is in full effect. He's got the player of the year in the conference. He's got the, the win streak going. He's got the defensive player of the year. He's got the, the player of the week. It's all coming up Pastner. Pet Ford, he just picked them to win this tournament. Are you buying the, the, the Georgia Tech hype train going into Greensboro this week? Yes. <laughs> Isn't this kind of like the college basketball gods being like, you guys bitched and moaned for the last 12 months about not getting this. Here you go. <laughs> Here's Josh Pastor in a poorly fitted face shield on Saturday night on national television. Yeah, that, that feels right. Uh, look, I, I think Florida State is the best team in the conference. Um, I've felt that way for a while. I know they're the two seed. I know they've lost some games that um, – uh, you know, I wouldn't say would would shock you, but kind of would surprise you, especially the Notre Dame game. But um, North Carolina, in theory, I thought was going to be a lot better than than um, they have been. I mean, they're not terrible, but sixteen and nine is just kind of average. Um, but I still think they're the best team in the league. And I, if I didn't have the hunch about Duke, I would I would probably say they're they're the team that would be would be my choice to win it. I just I don't know what it is. I just I feel like Duke is going to make the final. And um and I also think that Georgia Tech is going to make the final. So I guess if that's the way I think, then that means that I have Georgia Tech and and Duke playing each other in um in the in the ACC tournament championship which would be interesting for like mid early to mid 1990s basketball fans and really nobody else. Um, but I, I just, I, we have talked about this so many times, Mike, Georgia tech has 
a really good first three or four players, right? I mean, their 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 top group is as talented as anyone in the ACC, which is crazy to say, but it's true. If you think of Mike DeVoe, um, Jose Alvarado, and Moses Wright, that trio, you would have said, oh, Moses Wright is a distant third. But, he, I mean, he's good, but he's a distant third in that group, and he just won player of the year. Um, and so I, I – I'm I'm sure that that their guards will shoot them out of the tournament in like an eight nine game they'll they'll lose like seventy five to fifty to someone that's also terrible um, and, and we'll just be like I can't believe that team won the ACC tournament um, but I also feel like they have a, a a talented team that can get hot and they're playing well right now and um, they've already beaten i th- i think they've already beaten virginia this year so it's not like it's out of the question that they could that they could go there and beat them again so i am buying the passner thing and i am also really looking forward to the ncaa mandating that he has to wear a mask underneath that stupid shield because the shield does absolutely nothing and i wish that the employees at kroger uh, would also understand that the shield does absolutely nothing when they're breathing on our burger meat that we're going to buy and put in the freezer. Just working in the personal gripes right there. Yes. That, this is how professional podcasting is done. You take your personal <laughs> job, but you can work them into the overall conversation. That was flawless. That was brilliant. Um, I, we've talked about this on the podcast for the last, I mean, this was since like November about how we want this to be a dream season for Georgia Tech. So that Pastner feels obligated to keep wearing the face shield like Rip Hamilton back in the day. Like that, it just becomes his thing. It's, it's 2040 and he's like an aging man and he's been wearing this face shield for the last two decades because he's trying to recapture that 2021 glory. And it kind of feels like that dream's coming to fruition. Like this is, it's happening where if they win this tournament and they make a run in the NCAA tournament, we're going to see Josh Pastner showing up in the full face shield in November 2021. When nobody else is wearing masks or anything, and that's <laughs> it'd be the most on-brand thing of all time. And I, again, it has to happen now. We're, we're speaking it into existence. It's it's becoming reality. I'm very excited about it. Did you? I don't know if you saw the stat. It blew my mind though. He's the Pastner is the first Georgia Tech coach to have multiple seasons with a winning record in the ACC. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? Like Paul went to the national title game. Bobby Kremens in my mind, and I saw a lot of other people say this, like, I thought Bobby Kremens when I was growing up was really good at Georgia Tech. It turns out he had that Marbury team that was pretty good, and that was kind of it. Like, they, they never were above 500 again in the ACC. Pastor's done it twice. He's the only coach that's done that. Like, that uh, shocked me. Well, um, what wouldn't shock me is if he, like, he's the guy who, um, He's the guy in Seinfeld who who starts dating Elaine and takes everything too far. So like, she says she doesn't want kids, and he says he doesn't want kids, so he gets a vasectomy. Like, I feel like Passner is gonna get the shield like surgically put onto his face. Like, <laughs> like he's gonna go one step too far with the um, with the whole shield thing and try to get that to be like a a thing for him. Um but yeah, I mean look, it's it's it is a little bizarre. Um I I thought that was a weird hire when they made it. Uh, I still think it's kind of a weird fit um for for Josh Pastner to be the head coach in in Atlanta, which is by and large a pretty cool city um and and is a a, a great academic institution and Josh Pastner of all people is the coach there, but um 
the bottom line is is that he's like he's not a his teams haven't been bad. Like I mean, his teams at Memphis were okay. So uh, I I don't know. I mean, I I, I, I he works hard. Uh, I've seen him on the phone. I've seen him doing doing stuff. So uh, I I don't think that he's like I he comes off as a much bigger goober than than I think he. Then well, I think he's also a huge goober, but I feel like he does enough things that, to offset the gooberness that he's able to be successful to a relative degree. I mean, Pastor going from Memphis to Atlanta is the. <laughs> it, it, it's like if in the '90s Garth Brooks had gone to Bad Boy and then Death Row, like like, like that. It's not a fit. I don't understand how how we got to this point. Like, Pastner just is not – the tweet where he's like, Andre 3000 is teaching me about AT aliens is my favorite tweet of all time, I think. And it just – it oh makes – Oh, my sense. God. He's, he's having success. Props to him. We uh, we kind of love Josh Pastner. We still don't really know how we feel about him, but we know he's goofy. Um, and they're pretty good right now. He, I'm going to make my – because I feel like nobody is picking this team to win this tournament – not many people I've seen are picking them to even go to the championship game. Here's my completely unscientific case for Virginia. This is the spot where they always win. When like like when you discount them, when you're kind of just glossing over them, this is when they win the tournament. I think 2018, the, the team that wound up um, losing to UMBC, everybody thought that they were a little bit of a fraud. Everybody picked against them in that conference tournament, and they ended up winning it. 2019, everybody thought, it's them versus Zion. They're destined to meet in the championship game Saturday night, and they fall flat on their face against FSU in the semifinals. I feel like this is the spot where Tony Bennett loves being. Like, like don't get me wrong, they're the top seed, but everybody thinks FSU is the best team in the conference. Everybody's talking about Georgia Tech. I've seen a lot of people saying Syracuse could actually upset Virginia. They, they're a pretty good matchup for them. I think Virginia wins the conference tournament. I don't think they're that good. Like, like don't get me wrong. I'm not vouching for them, but I just feel like – Whenever people get to this point with that program, this is when they they thrive. Hell, Saturday, perfect example. Like everybody was saying that you know they're going to be the two seed. Florida State's got this locked up, and they played a really good game against Louisville, and they're champions for the eight thousandth year in a row in this conference. It feels like so. That's my completely unscientific, completely illogical case for Virginia winning this tournament. Wow, you really went out on a limb to pick. Uh, to pick Virginia as the surprise pick to win the ACC as the number one seed in in the tournament, and well, let me see, they're uh, they're twelfth in the Ken Palm. So really, I mean, really sticking <laughs> sticking your neck and neck out there, big time. But can I just can I just pick a bone one one thing with, with one comment you made, which is people really think Syracuse is a good matchup for for Virginia. Syracuse stinks. Well, uh, yeah. It's, it, I don't know. Like people that's, think that that's three against Virginia. That's stupid. What about Clemson? I, I hate Clemson. I think they're terrible. Um, but they, I have been saying that for like six weeks. And since I said that, they have gone, uh, let's see, they've gone, uh, seven and two since I said I thought they were garbage and for sure we're going to lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, so, uh, naturally they ripped off seven of nine and, and have gone back to being a stifling defense. Part of me feels like we nobody's really talking about them. And um, granted, they haven't beaten a ton of like murderers row. 
like they lost to Florida State and they lost to Virginia, but they did beat Florida State earlier in the season. I feel like they're a team that we don't really talk about uh, as being a contender in the ACC, and maybe they are. Yeah, out of all the teams that I don't know what to do with in the ACC, I feel like Clemson is at the top of that list. Like I've got no idea if they're good. I know Amir Sims is good. I know they've had all these COVID pauses. And we do now have the opportunity for a rematch of what I think is the game of the year in college basketball, which was the Clemson-Georgia Tech game where Passner got teed up, smashed the face shield, had to keep wearing the mangled face shield, and then lost <laughs> at the buzzer uh, when Clemson, I think, banked in a three there. But I'm with you. Like, I don't – they're really good defensively, except when they're bad defensively. They're, like, awful defensively. Like, I, it, it, they don't make a whole lot of sense. Their one loss since the start of February was to Syracuse. Again, Syracuse kind of coming up as this bizarro team. Um, I, I don't – just – Amir Sims is really good. Everybody else is kind of a dude. Like, like, like Nick Honor, Clyde Trapp, the, uh, the Dawes kid. There's just not a whole – lot there at least we're talking about the NCAA tournament this tournament though yeah I mean would I, would I be shocked if they beat Georgia Tech and then got to play Virginia in the semis no but I, I'm I'm still out on Clemson like, like they this run has not brought me back in I don't think they're a great team I don't think they're going to make any big time noise in March and I'll be surprised if they make noise this week that's that, that, that's as straightforward as I can be. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to pick Winthrop to beat them uh, in the in the NCAA tournament. I can tell you that right now. Um, hopefully, that's. I hope Winthrop gets paired with either Clemson or Wisconsin, and, and in like a, a five, twelve, six, eleven game, wins by twenty five. Like I, I, Winthrop is Winthrop is my team, um, and I'm sure we'll get to this at some point in this conversation. Uh, Winthrop is my team. And um, I'm going to pick them, regardless of who they're playing, to win in the first round. But I really – I don't know why I would take particular enjoyment in, in watching them beat a team like Clemson, but um, I would. So there you go. In-state rivalry, I guess. Yeah. Shouts to Pat Kelsey doing uh, God's work down there in Rock Hill, South Carolina. We should also mention another one of the Greer-Rutherford favorites. Isaiah Miller from UNC Greensboro punched his ticket last night. That dude is an absolute fucking boss. Like, I'm yeah. so glad he's in the tournament. Yeah, and and like the funny, he's so funny because he's like, he can't shoot. Like, he's not a good jump shooter at all. Like, he he's actually like a horrific jump shooter. Um, I think he, I think he, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think he shot like 20 percent from three last season. Um, and we'll see. I'm bringing up their profile now, but like. He is electric. I mean, he is just oh, he's, yeah. He's ten for forty-seven this season from three. But the dude, but the dude scores like twenty a game. He rebounds a ton. He's super athletic. He always has like five, six, seven assists. Gets a bunch of steals. And they put him out front of their um, uh, of these varietal um, defenses that they use to generate pressure. And he like. The number of times per game that he gets a deflection to a run out for a dunk is probably like 1.3 on average. But in my head, it's like 13. Like he, <laughs> like it just like it's awesome and it happens all the time in my head. Um, so I, I like them too. I, I, I don't think that they'll win a game in the tournament, uh, unless they play someone who's really uncomfortable with a, a team that likes to press. Um, but I do, I love Isaiah Miller and I'm, I'm thrilled 
that he is making up for us missing out on Chris Clemens uh, a couple of years ago not getting into the tournament. I feel like this is the gods coming giving us something back after we li- missed out a few years ago. I'm still upset about it. Like uh, that semifinal game, I'm still like I, I just watched in horror as my beloved Camels just. Uh, by the way, almost won the, uh, the the championship game this year and got walloped a little bit. But I mean, Isaiah Miller had, I think he had. 16 dunks in that game against ETSU on Sunday, and they were all <laughs> like, like better than I've seen from Louisville this year. It was just making me jealous. And, and Winthrop Scott, if you haven't seen this guy, I wrote about him in my, um, my championship week guide this year. Chandler Valdron, it's rare that you see a six seven point guard at that level of basketball. Typically, those guys are reserved for power conferences. Uh, you know, like the Jalen Johnsons of the world who are trying to run the show, the Mobley kid at USC, the, the big kids that are going to end up being NBA players. He's 6'7". He averages like 13 points a game. He's in the top 10 nationally in assists. He was like the second leading rebounder in the Big South this year. He is just super fun. He's the first player uh, in that conference history to have two triple-doubles in the same season, first player to have a triple-double period at Winthrop. He's an absolute joy to watch, and, and you're right. I mean, regardless of who they get matched up against, it's going to be tough for me to, to pick against Winthrop. They're really, really good. Well, the thing that's so fun about them that that um, I I play a lot of College Hoops 2K, uh, which you know I have sent you many videos over the years um, of my teams from DePaul to Wyoming to all sorts of random teams across the country. But um, Winthrop plays a style that I would be afraid to play um, in the video game and in real life if I was a coach because I would be too nervous about giving up easy baskets, which is like my number one bugaboo. That being said, they press, um, they they guard you pretty much the full length of the floor, um, but the most fun part about them is the way that they start their offense. Whoever gets the rebound, they have one dude, uh, DJ Burns, who is like a monster. He's huge. But everyone else is basically a guard. And when they get a rebound, they just go. And whoever has the ball basically crosses half court. They come down. They spread the floor out. It's 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 almost like that secondary transition. It doesn't feel like you're still on a fast break. It feels like you're almost in the half court. But they immediately attack the rim. Whoever whoever has the ball just goes. And Vaudrin gets the ball in his hands a lot because he rebounds a lot, as you said. So, like, he's he comes back. He's a good defender. And because he's able to get a lot of rebounds as a bigger dude, he can turn and just run and go. And so they're super fun. Like, if, if they play any team – that struggles to defend the first like five seconds of a possession. If they if they struggle to get back and transition, if they're if they send like they would be a tough matchup I think for Louisville because Louisville like fundamentally sends three guys to the offensive glass. Doesn't matter who took the shot. If one of them took the shot, they still go pursue it, and they flare out their two guards in the backcourt to go back and guard and transition. Well, if you're playing Winthrop, you kind of have to make the decision, okay, either we are going to truly dedicate our entire team to defensive rebound or offensive rebounding and we're going to get a lot of them or we need at least three or four guys back because they are so good at immediately they get the ball and they go. And I, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would be interested to see if someone has tracked it, how many 
points per possession they have scored in the first like eight seconds of the shot clock because it's so fun to watch. They just get the rebound and they go and they attack you and they get a lot of layups and they get a lot of kick out threes. And Vaudrin is the guy who does just a little bit of everything. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're like legit one of my three or four favorite teams to watch this season. If I told you right now that a team, a, a non number one seed, so not, I think we're all assuming the number one seeds are locked at this point. Not, not, not Baylor. Not Gonzaga, not Illinois, not Michigan. If I told you that a non-number one seed is going to win the NCAA tournament, who do you think that is? Uh, that's a uh, tough question. Um, I've got, uh, let's see, I've got three, I've got four teams in my head. One of them is, is, one that I don't feel super confident in, um, but is a team that I liked from earlier in the season. Um, I think they all hate each other, so it's, it makes me, it makes it harder for me to really feel like it, but I like Texas. Um, I know that they have not been awesome, uh, in, in the Big 12. They had that one stretch in, in what, January, early February where they were losing a bunch of games. I don't know what it is about them, but I really like them. I think they have guards who can take over games, and and that's why I think Illinois is really dangerous too is because they have, uh, I mean, really good guards. Um, so Texas would be like my third team but distant out of the other two. One is um, Alabama. I think um, – I just think that I know that we've all talked about it. It's been beaten into the into the ground, but their style of play is really good. Um, and I think having a good offense is is really underrated. Like I think we spend so much time talking about who's good at defense um, that we forget that it's kind of become even more important now to be good at offense. And they play a style that that could translate well to winning two games in, in three days a couple of times. And then the team that probably I feel the most comfortable with picking out of all of those uh, teams is Florida State. I felt I've liked Florida State all season. Um, I don't know where I picked them. I'm sure someone could go find my um, my tweet that I probably sent out with my ACC uh, picks and I think I may have had them winning or finishing second in the ACC. So if I had them finishing second, that still means I like them. Um, so don't use that as an example of me not liking them, but I, I think they're really good. And I think that they're, um, I know that that's a, a hot take, but I, I feel like, um, Raekwon Gray is a guy who just has that big baby Davis love this dude in March um, kind of feel to him uh, where he's just awesome in March and everyone's like, who is this gigantic human who makes it look like really easy? Um, and then, I, you know, I, I just I, I just like their team and I I feel like their size, their, their ability to shoot, um, it just feels like the type of team that could get really hot and win a bunch of games. So those are probably, those are probably my three, but I would say Florida State and Alabama, I feel a little bit more comfortable saying than, um, than, uh, than, um, Texas, which Texas is just a bleeding heart thing for me. That's sad. 
I, I feel like it's kind of wild that everybody's done this total 180 on Leonard Hamilton the last couple of years because, you know, for so long it was always these teams choke in the NCAA tournament. He can't get past the second round. He can't, and then he goes to one Sweet 16 in 2018 where they, um, it was the year they actually where they upset Chris Mack his last season where they beat him in the second round. Uh, they went to the Elite Eight that year, and then they went to the Sweet 16, where he f- totally forgot clock management against Houston, did not <laughs> and then, like, after the game was flabbergasted that somebody would question why he didn't foul in a one-possession game in the closing <laughs> zone. And now everybody's looking at that guy, and they're like, yeah, he just gets it done. He makes the play. I'm not picking on you, because uh, everybody, like, the amount of people who have said last year's team w- would have gone to the Final Four and maybe won the national title has kind of been surprising to me, but it just seems like, Nobody's done more for their image in a positive way in the last three years than Leonard Hamilton. I feel like that's uh, they, they, the the narrative surrounding him has totally changed. I like that. Are you total? Are you are you one of those people who's totally out on Iowa? Um, I wouldn't say totally out on them, but I just I feel like they have a real just shithole game in them in March and and. I don't know when that would be. I, I don't think they're a team that is going to lose like a, a two fifteen game. I don't I don't think that. I, I think they'll get to the second weekend, but I just there's just something about them that I don't trust, and uh, I don't know what I, I, probably has to do with their defense. I'm a little concerned now about some of the injury issues that have come up with them, but. Um, It'd be fun if they made a run. I mean, Luca Garza is, is fun to watch, and, and they're a fun offensive team. But, um, yeah, I just – I don't know. I'll probably get them to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight and then have them lose to a, an also-good team. So it won't be as uh, – it won't be like a hate pick against, uh, which I have a few teams that I will definitely, like, hate pick against uh, early on in the tournament because I'm angry for no good reason. <laughs> That's kind of where I am with Iowa, too. Like, I'm not – gung-ho on them as a, a Final Four legit national title contender, but I'm also not as on, on the opposite end of the pendulum like a lot of people who are like, oh, they're definitely going to lose in the second round. They've kind of started playing defense the last month. They've been pretty good defensively. The one game where they got blown out by Michigan, it was more about the fact that they only scored 57 points and just could not uh, crack Juwan Howard's defense at all. And, I mean, you've got Luka Garza and a bunch of dudes who can shoot. It's a recipe to me for at least making it to the second weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'd be, like, like stunner of all stunners if they got beaten a 2-7 game or something like that. I just would bet against it right now. But uh, that's kind of like, – like they would probably be in my four if I was trying to pick the, the most likely non-number one season to win a national title just because they can score a bunch. And I would have had Nova in there before injuries just yeah. wrapped. Yeah. They seem like – I mean, that's one of those teams now where if you get them in a 3-6 game in the second round, you're kind of licking your chops uh, because they are the walking wounded at this at this moment. Who knows what yeah. they're doing this week. But that's, I, think that they're gonna, I think they're going to lose in the first round. I think they're going to be one of the teams that gets upset in the first round. It just, feel, it just feels like it. Um, real quick, I know we're just dancing around everywhere, but we kind of talked about our, I guess, concerns with Louisville right now. If you had a word of optimism for the Louisville fans right now, if you're searching for a piece of optimism for maybe some March magic to be found in the weeks to come, where do you turn to right now? Just a, a single word or just uh, any sort of comment? One, thing, one tidbit. One thing. Oh, oh, I like tidbits. But if you're, if you're a Louisville fan searching for reasons to be excited about the weeks to come and a possibility of, of making some March magic happen, 
where do you turn? I don't think there's any question it's Carly Jones. I mean, I know that he had a, 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 a bad shooting night in a rough offensive game uh, against Virginia, but we've talked about this. I know you've tweeted about it. I know, I mean, it's been a popular conversation, but, like, I don't know what it is about um, – it's, I guess it's the romantic uh, college basketball fan in me, um, but I, I I find like five or six guys across college basketball, maybe a few more, who it just like feels like they are prime for a, a, a one shining moment uh, clip. You know, like the, it just feels like they are going. There's something is going to happen where they are where they are being celebrated for an accomplishment in the NCAA tournament. And Carly Jones is one of them this year. Like I, I don't, I don't think Louisville has a really high ceiling this season. I feel like the younger guys in the program, if they're there a couple more years, like Quinn Szczynski, Dre Davis, JJ Trainer, even Sam Williamson, like if those guys stick around for another year or two, I feel like Louisville is going to have a season or two like Xavier did. Um, a couple of times with, with when Mac was there where they go like 28 and five. Um, but this year's team needs a little bit of magic, a little bit of something. And I don't see how it's anyone other than Carlick Jones. And the fact that he has delivered that a few times through the course of the season, uh, always with a smile, always with a little bit of swagger should, I think, give Louisville fans some hope. I, I, I I feel like they can win a 7-10, even a 6-11 game. I feel like they can win um, because he has a great game. And I know that they need other things to happen as well in addition to that. Um, but I would start with any conversation with why could Louisville uh, win a game or two uh, in the NCAA tournament. And I would say Carly Jones goes off um, and has and has a great game. So, that's where I would start, and then I do think that there's a couple of other things that could go their way, um, but it just – a lot of it – I know this is such a stupid <laughs> cop-out, and we all say it, but matchups do matter, as as, as silly as, as it sounds, but it's true. I mean, if they – if they play a team that is constructed like Florida State or plays a style similar to Virginia, I think Louisville's probably going to lose in the first game. Um, but if they get a matchup that fits them in their style a little bit better, maybe slower guards who they can, who Carly Jones and, and David Johnson can drive off of, um, and, and get into the lane and score, uh, Louisville can beat them. So, um, but yeah, it, it all starts with Carleek, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Like, if he has a, a breakout performance or two, Louisville can win games in the NCAA tournament. No question. Yeah, he does feel like, I know Tyson Tate called them Kemba candidates, the, the guys who, yeah, prospects to, to have a Kemba Walker type run. He does feel like one of those types of guys. Uh, James Booknight, UConn, is the other guy that I feel mm-hmm. like make himself a household name in these weeks to come. All right, we're going to wrap up with our official ACC predictions and also a seed prediction for Louisville in just a second. Before we do, reminding you guys, this podcast, Jeff Greer himself, is brought to you by Homefield Apparel and homefieldapparel.com. They've got a new 1980s Louisville National Title t-shirt. Check that out on their website. And when you do, use the promo code CARDCHRONICLE when you check out. That's going to save you 20% off your first purchase. They've got gear for basically every team in college sports. They don't have gear for Kentucky. That's another reason for you to give them your money. Um, they got D2 teams, D3 teams, NAI teams, but no Kentucky. 
and a lot of Louisville stuff. Check them out. Follow them on social media, homefieldapparel.com. All right, Jeff, if we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, you've already said Duke-Georgia Tech is your title game prediction. Who are you going with? A battle of two Hall of Fame coaches, two legends <laughs> in the college basketball coaching world. Who are you going with? Who wins this thing on Saturday night? I got I, – I, I really – I really hate that I'm picking against Florida State to even get to the championship game, but I'll say in that matchup, I think Georgia Tech is going to win the ACC tournament. Wow. And I think Duke is going to get into the NCAA tournament. Wow. Look at that. I'm going, I said Virginia already. I like North Carolina's draw a lot. They have the draw that mm-hmm. I wish people had gotten. And I still, I, I'm with you in like, I can't let go of the fact that I think North Carolina should be good, certainly should be better than they are. And it's not just because I saw them beat my favorite team by 9,000 points a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, I think they make it to the finals. I, I think it's Virginia, North Carolina, a great title game Saturday night. I'll say Virginia wins, again, for totally illogical reasons. So we both don't have a lot of hope for Louisville winning a couple of games this week or, or you know, maybe even not a game. You've got Duke in the championship game. Where does that leave Louisville in your eyes going into Selection Sunday? And I know that it's impossible to say for sure because we've got to see what – other bubble teams do and all that stuff. But if you had to just throw a dart right now and make a guess, do we see Louisville's name pop up on Selection Sunday? And if we do, what, what line are they on? Uh, see, I think they're a little – I wouldn't say safe, but I, I think they're safer than um, than uh, a lot of other teams in, in, similar, in a similar spot. And I don't – I think there's two reasons for that. One is – the committee talks a lot more about quadrants in terms of one and two than they do just about one. Um, and because of that, Louisville goes from being one and five, I think, in quadrant one games to like seven and five. And I think that that helps them. Two is there's a little metric on their selection committee computers um, that shows their record versus other teams that the committee has put into the tournament field uh, already. And Louisville is, um, I believe they're four and five. They've got four wins against teams that will have punched their tickets probably by the time they're really getting into scrubbing down um, bubbles, uh, bubble teams and trying to figure it out. So I think Louisville will get in. I do think it'll be a little bit uncomfortable um, if, the, if my predictions follow. Um, I think it'd be uncomfortable for the rest of the week. But I think they're going to end up being one of those teams where we're like, wait, that I thought they were a bubble team and they get like a nine seed. So, um, I'll, I'll split the difference and say uh, a 10. Um, but I kind of have a sneaky hunch that they're going to surprise us and, and be safer in the tournament field than we thought they were. Interesting. Maybe like Mitch Barhart's overcompensating for the perceived bias. He doesn't want anybody to think this is a, some sort of deal. And he's like, get Louisville's comfortably in. I Give him a four. <laughs> yeah, the reverse of the 2005 draw. Um, I feel like if Louisville loses on Wednesday, they're going to be in the first four. Like I feel like that's the compromise that the committee will will make for Louisville not having a whole lot of quad one wins and not having the opportunities that a lot of other teams do. I, I feel like that's the the safest way to hedge their bets. Um, but again. I'm wrong frequently on this podcast. I'm sure I'll be wrong again. Uh, Jeff Greer, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know exactly where to find him. I'm sure you know exactly what he's doing. But if you don't for some reason, Jeff, tell the people about the pod. Tell the people about the newsletter. Tell them how they can get involved. Well, you can follow me on on social media at Jeff Greer uh, across all the different um, 
platforms, but uh, I just started a Substack newsletter in January. Um, it comes out every Thursday morning, and it's uh, for seven bucks a month. So it's uh, or it's the price of literally like three or four cups of coffee, depending on where you go. Maybe even fourteen cups of coffee, depending on where you go. Uh, and you can find that at jeffgreer.substack.com. Uh, and then the podcast, uh, Floyd Street's Finest, uh, which is um, generally a great podcast. I have had Mike on twice, so it's it's got some. Um, potholes in its in its uh, runway there but uh it's still a great podcast and uh just recorded one right before i came on here so uh you can find that on any uh podcasting platform and make sure you rate and review it they always tell me to say that i know you have to get that in there um by the way rate and review this podcast too that that (laughs) and subscribe wherever you can find podcasts Uh, we are going to have if louisville does win tomorrow um against Duke or Boston College, whoever they wind up playing. There will be a podcast after that game. We'll react to that. If they lose, going to be a little bit later. We'll preview Selection Sunday and kind of what's going on. But uh, keep it locked. We promised multiple podcasts this week. We've already delivered. It's only Tuesday. We've got two damn podcasts on the same damn day. It feels great. It's March. Enjoy all the basketball. Greer's going to go get geared up for Pitt-Miami. It's all happening. Jeff, really appreciate it, buddy. Enjoy the hoops. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me. All right, until we talk to you guys next time, go Cards.